0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast series on New Books Network. My name is Hui Ying Chen, and I am one of the hosts on the channel. Today, it is our pleasure to have Dr. Luo Liang here with her new book, The Global White Snake. Thank you so much. Uh, the Global White Snake examines the Chinese white snake legends and their extensive multi-directional travels within Asia and across the globe. Such travels across linguistic and cultural boundaries have generated distinctive traditions as the white snake has been reinvented in the Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and English-speaking worlds. The book The Global White Snake uncovers how the white snake legend often acts as an unsettling narrative of radical tolerance for hybrid sexualities, loving across traditional boundaries, subverting authority, and valuing the strange and the uncanny, which serves a timely mediation and reflection on our contemporary moment of continued struggle for minority rights and social justice. The Global White Snake revives the radical anti-authoritarian spirit slithering under the tales of monsters and demons love and lust and reminds us of the power of the fantastic and the fabulous in inspiring and empowering personal and social transformations welcome welcome again Dr. Lo Liang
0: thank you so much for taking the time to read and having me on of course yes so um as
1: you are first to greet our audience, would you like to say a little bit more
0: about um, your own beginnings? Books really reflect our personal and scholarly journeys and our personal and scholarly growth. So, um, my personal, um, I came from Sichuan, like the er- Ermei Mountain, where White Snake is supposedly from, and. Um, Went to Beijing for college, for undergrad um, in the Chinese department, took my MA in comparative literature and word literature. That's how it was called at the time, the major, Um, in the same Chinese department at Beijing Normal University. And then went on to um, um, come to this country in the last century, in 1999, to do my PhD. Oh, I just told everyone how old I am. Um, anyway, um, so basically, um, personal travels are also very important. I think to to reflect upon um, the travel of texts and tales and cultures. So I think that's actually a very important question to reflect on um, the genesis of books. This is, um, in particular, for a second book, has much longer trajectories. Um, you know, to maybe the Compared to the first book, so I have also a story to tell about how did I come to write this book. But um, yeah, I graduated um, two thousand six. That's another betrayal in terms of age. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, that's why. Yeah, it's it's long in the making. I think it comes from my sort of PhD work with Tian Han, of course, but we can talk about that um, when I talk about the, you know, the travel of um, <laughs> ideas and yes. how the book came about. Yes. Yes. Thank you
1: for sharing with the audience a little bit of your personal travels. And then maybe you could reveal a, review to us a little bit more how your personal journeys take you to this particular book. The second book. Congratulations, Mm -hmm.
0: by the way. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Um, So, as the second book, The Global White Snake takes an even longer route to get to. (laughs) But along the way, I have also changed as a person and as a scholar. So, the short version of the story is that it came about because of Tian Han. When I was researching uh, for my first book, The Avant Garde and the Popular in Modern China, published um, in 2014, Long time ago, actually, by the same press, by University of Michigan Press in uh, 2014. So I was quite taken while I was researching um, Tian Han and his Beijing opera version of The White Snake, uh, which was written actually in the early 1950s and widely performed uh, by different, even local opera groups, as well as Beijing opera groups and other um, sort of genre, uh, performance genre. Uh, in the 1950s and onward. So, because I had to end the 2014 book around the late 1950s, I kind of ran out of steam. <laughs> so, I, I'm determined to sort of pick up that in um, the second book and really um, hoping to continue tracing the transformation and transformative power of the White Snake legend from the 1950s onward to the contemporary times. I did put in an epilogue of the 2014 book, sort of gesturing towards contemporary developments like with two, three pages, but that's really not satisfactory to my own sort of aspiration of always thinking about the contemporary while doing our historical and um, cultural research. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity in the second book to continue that trajectory.
1: Yeah. So you are not uh, just so, so in this book uh the new mu- the new book the global White mm-hmm. snake you are not just uh tracing uh, it forward.
0: No, yeah, that, you're right.
1: Not just after 1950s, but you are actually dating it back as well as well
0: to That's the late to, 19th century. Thanks to Professor Leo Lee's um, advice, I was debating whether I should just write a book about the Cold War. Actually, I was really debating whether I should just write a book about. Chinese, Japanese, Korean uh, versions between the 1950s and 1970s. I was really debating that. And it didn't turn out to be that book. Um, Not only because I do feel like I need to do more work on my um, languages and cultures uh, to be like solidifying, uh, to have equal weight on the Chinese, Japanese, Korean, you know, in order to like sustain a really good, well-researched book. But also, I see the value of the advice of tracing uh, it back to the late 19th century, early to mid 20th century, which became some of the most juicy um, aspects of the chapter on the Shanghai, of course, um, urban culture and white snake performances. But also, it does provide a much better historical grounding for the Cold War and the contemporary stories. And that's sometimes why I review books. I often feel if it's a PRC book, people tend to only, to the most, go back to the 1940s um, and not pay much attention to the late chain development, which is so central to any of the PRC developments, actually. Uh, Of course, that's easy to say, hard to do, but I still think a longer historical perspective is going to be very helpful for many of the contemporary projects.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for doing that, actually. It, um, it's really two very interesting, extremely fascinating chapters, the first two, uh, on uh, the Thunder Peak Pagoda as well as Samuel Woodbridge's mm-hmm. translation. But before we go to the juicy details, uh, would you mind, I know it's probably not <laughs> the favorite thing you like to do, but would you mind uh, introducing the story, the basic line, basic storyline of the white snake to us. So what is, who is white snake and what is this story about?
0: This is really hard for me to do, as you um, already know. And I'm going to try to um, um, follow what I come up with um, in the introduction, basically. So the introduction is actually intended for that purpose, right? So, it's called Introduction to the White Snake Legends. Basically, it's chapter one, introductory chapter. And here um, on page two, I already uh, sort of attempted to do that, what you're asking me to do. So, basically, I tried very hard to combine many different versions. And here is what I come up with um, it recounts how a white snake spirit transforms itself into a beautiful woman and goes to. West Lake in Hangzhou, either to fulfill her predestined role on earth or to experience the beauty of the human world. You see, I already give two interpretations. She meets a handsome young man named Xu Xian or Xu Xuan at the famous Broken Bridge and quickly begins a sexual relationship with him. In the meantime, Her destruction of innocent humans and other living creatures and her violation of the boundary between the human and the non-human attract the attention of Fahai. So there are two kinds of reasons Fahai was um, attracted. One is really she's evil, she distracts innocent humans, but the other is the more widely understood version of violating the boundary between the human and the non-human. So Fahai is a Buddhist um, abbot uh, with the power of Recognizing and exorcising demons and spirits, White Snake is forced to drink um, um, a kind of medicine-scented wine during the Dragon Boat Festival, which leads her to show her serpentine form to Xu Xian, scaring him to death. She risks her life and accompanying um, to steal a magic herb um, to revive Xu, but Fahai tricks Xu Xian into leaving his wife and accompanying him to the Golden Mountain Monastery. Here, Fakai tricks him, or uh, whatever means um, that he led Xu Xian to the mountain is also open to discussion. White Snake and her companion, Green Snake, in an attempt to reclaim Xu Xian, mobilizes water spirits under their command and fight Fahai's heavenly soldiers. However, she is defeated partly because of her pregnant body. Whether she has a pregnant body is also open to different versions. Um, In the version where she is pregnant, she barely escapes, escapes to the broken bridge where she reconciles with a repentant Xu. After giving birth to a boy, she is imprisoned by Fahai under the Thunder Peak Pagoda and is released decades after in, uh, by what means she is released is also open to multiple different versions. My God, I feel like I'm a failure of telling a coherent <laughs> <laughs> no I think um
1: uh i I shall apologize to our audience as well because I am well very familiar with the story. but as you were talking uh recapping, and also as I was reading the introduction, I think um. Liang Yu did a wonderful job of um, providing a as brief but also as comprehensive as possible the literary lineage of this story um, before, uh, before the 19th century, before Samuel Woodbridge came along and did a bold translation of it. So um, as our readers, you will find out from the book or from Any online platform, the white snake uh, is a very popular folklore or legend or myth uh, that um, has been in China or has been active in East Asian traditions for a long time as um, early as the 11th century or even early, I mean appearing in text format. And uh, now we have the storyline in our mind, <laughs> the two snakes, the white snake, the green snake, the uh, the husband, and also the abbot, righteous or uh, nosy. Um, we have these four figures, and now we came to um, the late 19th century, and this um, American missionary, Samuel Woodbridge, based in Shanghai and attempting or achieving this English translation as Liang was starting her book in chapter two. Would you like to tell a little bit more about um, either Samuel Woodbridge's translation or the other Cloud's translation? Or, or how, why you would like to start, why you want to start, uh, not one, why you have chosen to start your book? With these two translations,
0: hmm. yeah, I think it's um really also a surprise to myself. Uh, I think the the sources, the materials, uh, really led me to a kind of um, drama or conflict, a setup between the Anglophone uh sor- materials and the Sinophone um, sources uh, in the. In this chapter, chapter two, which is actually the first chapter after the introductory chapter and the first chapter of part one, uh, this chapter is titled the, the White Snake Problem versus the White Snake Industry, right? So, The White Snake Problem is from the missionary, um, mainly uh, Woodbridge's point of view about how um, this sort of disbelief uh, um, in legend and, and this sort of uh, worshiping of semi-gods and um, goblins, fairies and dragons um, is um, sort of a a feverish mind of the Chinese people that should be cured by maybe the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. So this sort of um, um, anti-Buddhist sort of position and gesture is very much um, in... um, agreement with his, his missionary um, objectives and purposes uh, at the time, for sure. But I think um, the surprising aspect of my own researching and finding, finding is that it, it became uh, very obvious that this is sort of um, falling in love with the white snake type of story. Um, the missionary gets seduced by the text that he's using to critique Buddhist uh, transmigration. Basically, he attributes all the uh, beliefs in um, demigods and, and goblins to the Buddhist idea of transmigration and think um, he could sort of cure them with um, this um, text as a, as a almost like peeling piquing, right? With uh, with this text as a as a counter um, example of what what you should do, but this text became um, a trap, and the mystery of the white snake is um, hard to resist for the for the American missionary. So I'm also really excited that the text that I was led to eventually became sort of an American um, 19th century story, then American 21st century story sort of the bookend of the middle chapters that's more Asian language focused, both uh, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, the middle chapters, uh, sort of uh, framed by this transformation of the Anglophone um, tradition. Yeah, from the 19th century missionary diplomatic to the 21st century, more Asian American, Chinese American activist uh, projects.
1: So you were um telling us the white snake problem. However, um, the first chapter is also titled, the complete title was white snake problem versus the white snake industry. So what is
0: this industry
1: you're referring to?
0: That's a great question. Um, So when I was uh, researching the late 19th century texts, so the two anglophone texts are both from Americans 1898 and 1906. The second is by Cloud, who is a missionary. Um, But then around the same time, um, Shen Bao and many other Chinese language newspapers, many of them illustrated journals, theater journals and other um, popular uh, magazines around the same time um, seem to be forming what I would call uh, an industry. So it's very prasic profitable, but very popular, also very uh, impactful in terms of everyday behaviors. Um, I remember one instance in the 1930s um, in the summer heat, uh, when everyone is uh, crowded in the theater, they start to introduce central heating for the white snake performances. So it's just a small example of how um, sort of pervasively impactful um, this um, Subject matter and as a, as a multimedia platform, when radio came in, it became um, some of the most um, widely used. Uh, you know, white snake different genre of performances on radio uh, became some of the most widely used promotional uh, tools for various uh, um, sort of leading um, uh, first rate um, commercial products. So in that sense, I think it's an industry uh, that's um, nobody can overlook, uh, not even the missionaries, and and that became quite obvious when um, Woodbridge moved to Shanghai and died there in the 1920s. So the reason I want to sort of put them together is um, um, sort of a drama between these two views and how white snake legends became sort of consuming. Um, to the missionaries as well as the Chinese um, participants in this popular cultural industry in the uh, early to mid 20th century.
1: Yes, so as you were talking about early to mid um, 20th century um, with the introductions of new technologies um, used in theater or used in um, media productions or different kinds of media, were introduced, whether it's photography or uh, different kinds of um, art form to reproduce this story. There is this one historical event actually happening in 1924, in September 25, 1924. Uh, And that's the main theme of chapter two. So before you start, I want to comment a little bit that, uh, so in the first chapter we we're talking about clouds translation, and um, that in including, uh, the White Snake story in between this city guide, and that's exact the feeling I had when reading chapter two. So I feel that chapter two is really peculiar; it's different from all the other chapters that it has this central. Um, real historical happening. <laughs> then it's the question of truth, right? It's a, a real pagoda that um, that collapsed, and then um, it just came upon all diff- uh, all kinds of interpretations or kinds of um, impacts that intertwined with historical reality or uh, this fantastical
0: uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And it's very confusing. It's the t- second chapter of part one, but it's actually chapter three. So it's uh, it's not uh, the best way of organizing the chapters. <laughs> you're talking about chapter three, the fall of the pagoda and the rise of the white snake. It's the second chapter. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I yeah, apologize. Because, yes. No, no, no. It's the totally interaction. confusing. <laughs> interaction yes. is called chapter one. So it's totally confusing. Yes. But you're talking about the second chapter in part one, uh, which is um, really interesting. What you're saying about the historical sort of physical ruins as a testimony to how real this event is, and then the rise of the white snake—the second part—it's similarly uh, set up as a drama. You know, just like the sinophone and the anglophone, it's more of a sort of a dynamic. Contradiction, but also conversion in the first chapter of Part One, which is Chapter Two. Um, in this chapter, I also intended to uh, set up in the title the fall of the pagoda and the rise of the white snake. Lei Ta Dao, Bai She Chu Shi. So basically, this is what it is in the back of my mind. The Chinese saying um, of how white snake will rise from the ashes of the. Um, ruins of the Leifeng Pagoda. Um, in reality, in reality, um, it did um, have um, a huge sort of uh, psychological impact. Um, I, I think I mentioned something like it's an intellectual earthquake more so than the sort of uh, the physical uh, collapsing and ruin in front of the eyes of uh, people like Yipinbo, Um and um uh, who are these people? um they actually all visited the r- ruins right after it, it fell and and start to write to paint to take pictures to compose poetry to write music to make film to start stage performances so this is um um sort of reaction not like in the Political right wing sense, but to reaction, uh, to uh, to reacting to the to the physical uh, collapse of the pagoda uh, through cultural means. So the the rise of the white snake is really uh, partly because of uh, that historical reality. the The more interesting historical coincidence or um, reality is the entering of Sun Fang's army into Hangzhou, I think, and was reported as um, the Thunder Peak Pagoda. Who stole whose thunder? I forgot. But there's this very funny uh, um, sort of uh, um, current affair style uh, photojournalist report on, you know, the um, the warlords fighting while the <laughs> pagoda uh, was collapsing. Seem to be some sort of echoing in terms of uh, the reality word and the fantasy word. So there's a lot of deliberate actually um, um, sort of coming together in on the part of the intellectuals or um contemporaries, um, including Lu Xing and many others. He's just one of the most well known, but there's female writers that I really think should should be better known, and there are um uh, many uh, traditional Chinese style painters and West, uh, trained Western style painters and other um, mm, for-profit, non-profit, all kinds of uh, companies and agencies that's participating in this chorus or this, this uh, assemblage of um, visual, um, uh, musical and um, textual uh, representations.
1: Yes, I think um, while Lu Xun's short essay is probably most well known, but I would urge our readers to read this um, two page summary or kind of translation of uh, the White Snake Modern, this <laughs> impersoned um, White Snake's argument of how uh, or why we should never rebuild uh, the Thunder Peak Pagoda. From page ninety two to ninety three, it's (laughs) excellent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's supposedly picked up by um, someone by the side of the West Lake. So you have all these, just like Edgar Allan Poe, say, you know, I picked up this Mm -hmm. manuscript, um, and and there's this historical sort of historical manuscript in its material form that exists before I sort of made it up, and everyone knows he made it up. But this sort of <laughs> lend its uh, truth value is, is quite fascinating, yeah.
1: Yes, so we are uh, moving on from early 19th century, uh, I mean, late 19th century, early 20th century, and then to this um, post-war that you were saying you in- initially intend to start, if I get you right. Yes. Okay. Uh, which are uh, part two that consists consists of three extremely interesting chapters about um, Japanese, um, Korean,
0: and... uh, um, I think it's just two chapters. Hong Kong is part of the Korean story. I couldn't really make it into an individual chapter. Yeah, it's part... The Korean story is called Korean... um, Uh, in the context of, in the inter-Asian context or something. Yeah, so I was trying to put much more than the Korean story in the Korean chapter, which may be misleading. Yes, chapter two, two, part two, two
1: chapters, chapter four and chapter five about a Japanese Japanese story uh, and a Korean story. So, what is um, one thing you would like our reader to remember about uh, Japanese versions?
0: Uh, I think it all for me um, came about because of Miyazaki Hayao, the anima- the animator, and I read his biography and autobiography biography. I was very fascinated by his encounter with the uh, nineteen fifty eight. Japanese animation, uh, anime version of the white snake, that's um really uh maybe also the most well known. Um it was um dubbed and imported into the US as Panda and the Magic Serpent. Um and many of the uh, people growing up in the 1960s, it was um imported in 1961, three years after it was made in Japan. And uh, if you read the the Amazon reviews by the Americans growing up in the 1960s, um, they got very confused about whether it's a Chinese film or a Japanese film to start with, because of the so called Chinese elements that's so prominent in this Japanese anime. Right? Even the title has panda. But also, if you look at the color film. All the interior designs has, has red wooden furniture and wooden frames, pen, uh, dragons and pandas, and all, all those Chinese elements. So I was very fascinated uh, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in um, the reason um, Miyazaki is involved, so I was tracing backwards. Um, not to mention, um, I've long been fascinated by Tian Han's um, encounter with the white snake film called Hakuja Den, or The Last of the Serpent, by uh, Tanizaki Junichiro, made around 1920s, uh, one of the first so-called pure cinema movement films um, in the early, um, in the Taisho period. So it was um, very interesting for me to start every chapter with Tianhan, almost. Um, This is also another kind of um, the travel of ideas and the genesis of my second book type of story, right? I would uh, really go in the chapter with Tianhan as my guide and his encounter with other Japanese, how they trade stories, just like any Chinese and Japanese scholars do at the time. They basically talk about Chinese folklore when they meet. <laughs> and so in a way, it's very fascinating. All the self-acclaimed um, self-claimed modernists, they were really talking about folk tales and the avant-gardists they are really very interested in sort of traditional themes and just uh, how they are going to make it their own and make it part of their avant-gardist project or popular for-profit project is very fascinating to me so that that is the basically the entry point but but i think um you know, your sources always surprise you <laughs> sometimes. By the end, I think I came um up uh, after combing through these three films, which was um w- the first one is an uh, unconventional choice, uh the Ugetsu film uh by Gen uh, Mitoguchi Kenji. Is a is a, uh unconventional choice because most people think that's um uh, that's a film about female ghosts. And although the core of the film is based on uh, *Ugetsu Monogatami, the 18th century Japanese tale co- collection, um, and the core of it uh, are two short stories from that collection. One is precisely Hakuja-den, uh, uh, The, the Last of the Serpent. Uh, but... Uh, uh, which the 1920s uh, black and white Kanizaki um, film is based upon, also. Um, but because of the sort of um, reinvention um, of the white snake into a female ghost, a lot of people have not looked at it in the trajectory of the white snake story. So that's, for me, it's super interesting. I really want to insist on looking at it in the trajectory. In addition, I want to insist on looking at it in the tradition of um, Southern Chinese painting and how this whole invention of national painting, um, um, as already studied um, by Ida Yue Wong, um, is very interesting to me. Um, The whole idea of um, inventing a Chinese style painting has to do with encounter with Japan in the early 20th century. But now, this whole idea of inventing a post-war Japanese cinema as black and white, you know, um, the 1953 prize winners are all fitting into that category for the Japanese uh, black and white monochrome films has a lot to do with actually the invented tradition of um, Chinese painting (laughs) as it is in the 20th century. Uh, People like Gao Jianfu, I think I mentioned later, um, this whole Guohua tradition um, so i'm i'm really interested in the multidirectional inferences and travels, and want to uh, remind everyone how we all have a lot to to learn and enrich ourselves if we just keep an open mind and don 't quickly jump into cultural appropriation accusation and think more openly about we we are already appropriated uh, you know in our cultures and there's no pure unappropriated um, unappropriated uh, culture in any any uh, single instance so that's that's very uh, fascinating to me the the multiple ways of circulating and impacting and learning from someone who already learned from you in the past, but then having something to offer them now. And maybe that goes on, this sort of um, gift-giving of cultural uh, exchanges. Yeah,
1: And this is uh, exactly what you said in the first page of introduction, chapter one introduction, (laughs) that um, (laughs) this book, The White Snake, Tell a story not of cultural appropriation, but of culture as appropriation. I think um, when I read it, I underlined it. And as you were saying, exactly in this chapter, uh, chapter four.
0: Let's call it the Japan. Japanese cinema chapter. The Japanese cinema chapter.
1: Japanese cinema chapter. Yes, and also the Korean. Uh, I think you're right saying it's, it has the Korean in the title, but it's actually a uh, multinational effort or multi-regional effort uh, of Korean, um, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, mainland China kind of joint effort. There's one more thing in this uh, Japanese cinema chapter <laughs> that uh, I would like to ask is um the, uh, the addition of red scarf. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Madame White Snake or the story of White Snake um, in many different versions kind of centered on the color white for the snake, or the white snake, or the green for the the green snake, right? Um, Kind of these are the two major colors. Some somewhere else there might be black or, uh, but this red scarf, this color red is really prominent um, in this film, or I haven't seen the film, but in your description, in your analysis of this film, what do you think? Um, special or uh, about this?
0: Um, in this context, I think it's really interesting. Um, I was giving a talk and I was cutting uh, the the frame of the film where the red scarf is so prominently uh, in close-up. And um, one frame is like it's spread on the floor um, as if just uh, Xu Xian's desire is, it's not one of the illustrations in the book, unfortunately, because uh, we already have like more than 50. Um, it's this sort of red scarf spread out as if his desire is overflowing. So very uh, quickly, I interpreted as, you know, um, it's this desire of uh, Xu Xian, but also uh, the magic of White Snake. So basically. Um, In the opening, you do see a a color illustration with White Snake holding the red scarf on page 124. Um, And her white pearls are also very prominent because white pearls and red scarf are the sort of contrasting colors and symbolisms in this uh, 1956 live-action film starring uh, Li Xianglan or uh, Yamaguchi Yoshiko or Shirley Yamaguchi, so she has uh, three lives and three uh, performance careers in, uh, in Japan, in China, and in uh, America, actually, in the post-war period. So um, in a way, when you look at this, um, this is not just Xu Xian's desire, but also her desire and her magic. So the next frame would be the red scarf as if uh, by magic flew to Xu Xian and covering his face all over. Uh, right after this frame on 124, but then um, he he takes it and put it inside his body, and then the next time when they are already separated and they followed him through the Grand Tu to Zhenjiang when he was on exile, and he's going to deny uh, recognizing them, but the f- red scarf would as if by magic came out <laughs> from his chest, as if you know his his connection with them as if it's by magic but you know of course the special effect team is very uh, efficient and 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 very um uh good uh, by by the standard of 1950s so in a way i sort of did a rather simplistic interpretation as desire and uh magic but now that i think about it it could be also sort of revolutionary um could be also um there's multiple ways of thinking about it you know red in the nineteen fifties context, could be very political and revolutionary or even just transgressive. So in that sense, it's also um fitting the interpretation as desire and magic. I think it's connected to that possibility as well. But it's definitely an invention by the by the Japanese. Not to mention uh the color, uh the use of color in the nineteen fifties um is um um, it won a prize for its use of color in the Berlin Film Festival. Ah, no wonder. <laughs> yes. Um, so
1: we have the Japanese story of this three very interesting films, animation and also um, um, actor, actress film. Um, and then chapter five about um, not necessarily a Korean story, but Korean cinema that... Um, Realized via a joint inter Asian um, effort mm-hmm. of three films, if you know. I. Uh...
0: Yes, precisely. Um, 1960, 1960 is the first, and then 1969 second, both by made by the same legendary director, Xin Sang O, Shen Xiang Yu. And then the third one is really ambiguous, 1978, starring Lin Qingxia. Or Bridget Lee, yeah What's one
1: thing that you um, want our readers, uh, listeners mm-hmm. to remember to take mm-hmm. home from this chapter?
0: I think this chapter really um, I think both the Japanese and the Korean chapters are um, sort of having multiple contributions. One is sort of archival. Uh, because a lot of the, the text films have not been um, studied or have not been studied in the context of the White Snake legend. So in that sense, I think it's uh, ex- excavating some of the text, in particular the second Korean film uh, has been long forgotten um, and mis- um, catalogued in the Korean film archive as dead woman for a long time. Until recently, um I informed them, and uh, through a graduate student in Korea, and they changed it to uh, snake woman, simply because Sanyo has to uh, has multiple Chinese character possibilities, and one is a snake, uh, but the other is uh, another possibility is dead. So um because of that misclassification, classification, I think, Many, many uh, people didn't recognize this um, as, um, in fact, a White Snake film made by the same director who made uh, uh Sa Puying, which is uh, Madam White Snake, in 1960. Um, so uh, that's one uh, really important missing link that's sort of uh, uh, reconnected. But I think the other uh, really important question about this inter Asian um, episode or the Cold War um, transmigration in the sense or transgression um, in the sense that it really connects mainland China uh, with the other parts of uh, the Cold War, that is Taiwan-Hong Kong and the um, um, other parts of um, capitalist, uh, if you are using the Cold War um, bamboo curtain um, logic, um, it has its contribution by saying that um, by reacting to some of the early or mid 1950s Chinese um, Huang Mei, Huang Mei um, opera films, um, many of the uh, white snake reproductions from the 50s and uh, 60s and 70s later um, have sort of their origin in that kind of really beautified, feminized, and very cultivated um, opera film style, right? And we maybe one of the most popular, which I didn't really talk about, I didn't want to, um, is the 1962-63 uh, Lin Dai version, which is made by Shaw Brothers um, and directed by Yue Feng. Um, or maybe not. I could be wrong, but it's the 1962-63 Shaw Brothers version. And that's really uh, important, but we seem to only know that. And nobody knows the uh, the Korean director, Shin sang Oh has done a really beautiful version in 1960, um, a few years before. And they all know each other uh, in terms of the circulation of film and co-production efforts um, from the early 1960s onwards. So when Shin sang made his second Snake film in 1969, he soon went to Hong Kong to start making like, Ghost films, you know, that's why female ghosts and white snakes are very, very intricately connected. Not to mention this second film also has all the hybrid um, possibilities from um, a fantasy, a love story, a horror film, um, martial arts film, and, uh, um, you know, all these hybrid genres, uh, even maybe um, eroticism. And all these uh, slapstick comedy, all these um, genres are going to dominate Hong Kong film and later uh, developments in the 70s. So by tracing this really missing uh, link in the larger um, scheme of the um, inter-Asian multidirectional cinematic exchanges, I think we can really understand Taiwan-Hong Kong Films, Even, you know, the 1992 Zhao version, much better, much better in terms of having a better grounding of where did that come from? I got really surprised when I see the 1975 Taiwan version where slapstick comedy eroticism, martial arts, fantasy all come together, which I now know it has a lot of traces from the second uh, Korean film. I would argue the 1969 Shinseng film that's lost, that's long lost.
1: There's one more detail that you talked about in the book that I want to ask one more question, which is about 1960 Shinseng film that you were talking about the white snake and um, the male protagonist Xu Xian were holding hands, were mm-hmm. shown holding hands, only three minutes into the film. So, why is this holding hands three minutes into the film um, important or significant? Uh, is the presentation of, or representation of intimacy um, in big screen important or was it significant um, to the storyline of White Snake that? They're centered on intimacy or this love on first sight or mm-hmm. political reasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. what was um the significant part about this scene?
0: Mm, it's a good question. I was um first very, very surprised. So when whenever you um uh, encounter something from a different tradition, um you get this sense of difference and that may challenge your preconceived ideas about what things should be. In a Chinese film you wouldn't see them holding hands. You would have various ways of, you know, um connecting them, but not even maybe use an umbrella to <laughs> help her or something. I was like trying to imagine what a Chinese director at the time would do, not directly holding hands. So the hand um Became amplified uh, for me in that moment, and I uh, traced the hands um, and its contact in the second Shinzan film as well, because the second Shinzan film is actually very philosophical. It's about um, the statue maker, this artist and his statue, and hands of the artist and hands of the Buddhist statue became also close-up uh, materials and very much amplified. Um so as actually uh the Jap let me think, I think the Japanese version had something in terms of um body contacts as well in terms of nineteen fifty-three when the female ghost inviting the the um craftsman, another craftsman, this time he's uh he's a pottery maker, so he's not a statue maker. But you can see the traces of the hands and the, the usefulness or the power of the artist's hands. And then the, the power of seduction of holding hands and bodily contact. Very prominently from the Japanese films to the Korean films, but not in the Chinese or um, other, not very prominently in the Chinese and Anglophone versions. So I can't help thinking about. This um, this significance of that in the interwar period, or not interwar, Cold War period, and the reason mm-hmm. I um, this actually leads to another question of the lack of, uh, uh, of a child in many of the early Cold War films um, that I also talked a little bit about why it's so important to only focus on the heterosexual love and lust in the Japanese and the Korean version only allowing uh, the white snake to have a child in the second Korean film, uh, very late, in the late 1960s. So the early 50s and 60s, just exclusively, like um, some version even eliminated uh green snake, right? Just to focus on the love story, heterosexual love story, or the lust between these two. So I think that um, could be argued to be... Uh, a contribution of the Japanese and Korean version during the Cold War. And the the concluding section where I put in the Korean chapter uh, how to appreciate these films in the inter-Asian context has a lot to do with the um, kind of overarching storyline of love and reconciliation. So lust, love, and reconciliation became overarching because of the post-war, post-colonial moment for. Uh, Japan and and South Korea in this case, in particular in the uh, 50s and 60s in the post-colonial South Korean um, moment. Similarly to the post-U.S. occupation, post-war Japanese um, sort of um, uh, self-reaffirmation of their cultural, political, national um, importance. But with an eye of reconciliation, uh, Asian with other Asian neighbors and just patching up relationships, so the Chinese subject matter became a very useful platform.
1: Yes, that's the nineteen fifties Cold War stories. Uh, one settling one um, set in Japan, the three movies, and then one set in Korea, uh, three movies, but. A, kind of out of a joint inner Asian, uh, inter-Asian um, effort. Moving forward to um, the third part, um, I think we are entering a very different part or different age, different stage. Um, we have three chapters, <laughs> I need to, Count my numbers this time. Yes, three chapters, and um, each um, presents a very different take uh, of how the white stake is evolving or is um, being revived in different kinds of mediums, different languages, different formats, different kind of purposes. So um, chapter six, um, kind of moving on from 1950s to 1980s, 1990s, right? Talk about um, mainly two novels uh, about um, a new take on um, the white snake story. I will leave it to you uh, to say more, but it's very different uh, from what we have read um, in the previous preceding chapters.
0: Yes? Yes, this is uh, more of a close reading of uh, sort of a textual analysis. Um, However, I do feel like this fits quite well with the um, sort of multimedia and multi-platform setup we already um, have. That is, um, this is more of a dialogue between um, texts and bodies or or dancing and writing. So in, in this setup, i think both um Yangolin's um novella white snake by Shu from the late 90s um and the um, li bihua's uh, green snake qing she uh, which is a novel from the late 80s and early 90s she revised it um over a few years um is another kind of dance or dialogue or a drama or a conflict that I uh, intend to set up, just like the previous chapters always has some sort of drama going on. These two, I think, um, it's very much about uh, the dance between writing and dancing, text and the body, but also about um, sort of a meta-narrative about the mainland and a meta-narrative about Hong Kong, but also with mainland. So each of them Sort of with each other as a, as a mirror. So when you think about even just the characters of the white snake and green snake, they are also serving as each other's mirrors, and um, very much about both about hy- hybridity, hybrid bodies, but also um, icon plasm, um, Like how they are very much about transgressive um, sort of fighters. Um, I think what's most interesting, actually, for me, is this idea of the writing woman. So Green Snake in the Green Snake story is um, the autobiographical narrator, right? In Li Bihua's story, she is writing under the the Brinkburn Bridge, and in the time zone of roughly the eighties, because you see the markers of Tolly. Uh, Andy Lau, Tony Leung, and all these <laughs> 1980s Canton pop stars popping up in the in the Li Bihua story, um, and that's fascinating. However, if you, um, I think the central um, the central focus of this chapter is still the Yan Ge Lin, um novella Green Snake, um, White Snake, by which is uh, very much about. Um, a white snake performer and dancer. Her fate during the from the late fifties to the early eighties. And for me, that's really um, a very interesting sort of meta narrative about uh, mainline China during all these political um, uh, transformations from um, the high socialist period, but also how. Um, Um, the white snake story can be uh, appreciated um, as also a personal story uh, as well as a political story in terms of um, uh, revolution and uh, um, anti-authoritarian spirits um, in sync with the mainstream, um, you know, um, um, anti-bureaucracy and this sort of grassroots revolutionary spirit but also sort of um, being um, criticized because it's sexual deviation. And, and so I see this very interesting tension between um, sexual transgression and political transgression. And at, at the end of the chapter, I was trying to sort of uh, uh, bring them together and uh, sort of build up for actually later chapters in terms of contemporary activism. And I talk about how sexual um, um, Uh, dissidents and political dissidents um, may be different, um, uh, but they may also share a lot of um, attributes.
1: Definitely. I think it's um, a very giant leap from what we see in previous chapters or the immediate preceding chapter on the the Korean uh, cinema like you were talking about the um, kind of emphasizing on the heterosexual relations, even excluding the role of green snake. While here, um, in both of these two novels uh, or two texts, um, they were kind of emphasizing um, the homosexual uh, relationship or feelings between the green snake and the white snake and also using... Uh, the green snake, not to mention using green snake as the uh, main na- narrator. Right? But the white snake as well as the um, the fangirl kind of um, not impersonating, but impersonating or fulfilling the role both as the Xu Xian or sometimes as uh, the green snake or sometimes as the adult as the narrator. Mm. That's why I felt it's really mm, kind of set apart from what we have seen previously, but not um, invented out of nowhere. As you were saying, it's just um, picked up original or existing, picked up existing points with certain new twists of who tell the story uh, or what kind of story the person is telling.
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate Yang Lin's multi-level storytelling, and I think that is very important to be included here. And um, the multimedia aspect of the text and body dancing and writing, I think, also works very well, uh, even when the chapter itself is more about close reading of a text. So I, I was, like, debating um, whether... Um, this is a good transitioning um, chapter, which I felt it is because it also thematically opened up um, all the important aspects I want to talk about in the remaining two chapters, which is even more contemporary. And many of the things, um, you know, um, just was opened up uh, by the two Films that I haven't even seen. and just came out after my manuscript was sent into printer, uh, which just came out in the past few months in mainland China, right? The 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 sequel to um, the White Snake animation, the Green Snake uh, animation, Qi, which opened in July this year. Oh,
1: okay. I, yeah, I don't, yeah yeah I don't know that. And
0: which is very much about transgender and um, yeah. And uh, of course, homosexuality, but also um, transmigration, uh, reincarnation, and it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating from what I've read.
1: <laughs> and the other one, I suppose the other you're talking one about, is about can-
0: Cantonese, Cantonese, Cantonese uh, opera. opera, yeah, yeah, yeah. from May, I saw the trailer as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> I read <it> on everything, <laughs> just don't have the access <laughs> mm-hmm. to watch it in yeah. theater, yeah.
1: One more thing about this chapter is, I feel, um, you're talking about the element of dancing, because throughout the book we're talking about um theatrical, uh, um, uh theatrical performance or other versions art forms, but most of them we're talking about vocal, kind of what well, kind of it's an opera or it's kind of tanzi or uh, or um other versions English or a certain dialect. But here you're talking about even though it's a text form, but you're analyzing um and also that's what these two authors, Li Bi Huan and Yang Goling, were writing about kind of the dancing the body movement, the movement of the bodies of these two snakes, or no, not uh, of the two snakes, yes, in Li Bi Huan, but also of the dancer. Uh body in Yang Goling. I think it's um it's Really, a inseparable element of uh, the whole story and also the whole the the book. So, um, just uh, following what you said, I think it did a, a perfect job in transitioning, not just a chronologically, but also a thematically, wave everything together.
0: I really want to echo that very briefly. Um, one, if you only want to watch two minutes of the nineteen 1960- sixty. Xin Sang-o version, the black and white, watch the tournament minutes where um, I think the subtitle is Dance to Seduce. I think I have a section on that film about how the choreography of the body of the dancer, um, you know, uh, Cui En-hi, Xin uh, Sang-o's wife, who plays White Snake, is so... Powerful. the seduction is so powerful even when it's black and white and her costume design is superb to combine just to really um, sort of present her body uh, shape really well but also the choreography and the fan there is a fluffy feather fan that's accentuating her, her power of seduction is very important so there is indeed as you suggest a, a thread of the body um, you know hand-holding, uh, intimacy, dancing um, to seduce, uh, all the way to this chapter, and it will open up to the last chapter about the eternal body of the, of the snake women, yeah. Thank you for that, that's, yeah. Before
1: we go to the final chapter, there is one more, <laughs> chapter seven, right, about this two, um, I think, brilliantly down. Uh, oh, three. Three, yes. Three. Um, I apologize for my There's bad too, numbers. <laughs> no, there, there are
0: too many texts. I'm just admiring you, admiring you, remembering anything. No,
1: no. Um, yeah, I will let go of my numbering. But in any case, we're talking about can okay, coming back to um U.S. again. Uh, or not coming back to the U.S., but coming back to the Anglophone world again, Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. English, version English take uh, of the um, White Snake story. One um, is the uh, um, Pulitzer Prize winning Mm -hmm. opera and the other is Mary Zipperman's one-act opera. Uh, Play, Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Play, sorry, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Play.
0: And the third is uh, no, like eight-minute really fashion film. Digital, yeah, very short. Yes,
1: digital, mm-hmm. how do you call it, a film or digital um, video Video of, um, of the story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about this. I wrote um, a blog for the University of Michigan Press called The Power of the Legend on August 9th. Uh, the publication date of the book, basically focusing on only one that is um, the Boston based Asian American activist opera company, the White Snake Projects, um, founded by Sirius Lynn Jacobs, the creator of uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Madam White Snake. She is a librettist and she invited Zhou Long the Chinese born uh, Chinese American composer, uh, which um, Zhou Long won uh, the Pulitzer Prize for music in 2011. But um, because of my encounter with the 2010 Boston performance and um, the Madam Whitesnake Opera, I started to follow uh, the Whitesnake Projects when she founded this activist opera company. And throughout the pandemic, I've been participating very actively online for all her digital projects. So she's real, the real sort of avant-gardeist and trying to create a digital live opera during the pandemic so people can actually watch opera live through um, webcast, like um, cloudcast. I forgot the web pla- platform, but it's a platform that's going to allow um, all the technology to come together to present live, opera on the web during pandemic. Um, but she has a very distinctive um, purpose of um, um, outreaching also activist project um, to speak for the minority um, groups in the U.S. So she did um, immigrants project projects for the DACA recipients, projects for um, the incarcerated mainly African-American population after the um, george floyd um death and 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 she is still doing um a lot of projects for the um essential workers in the pandemic so the reason I just uh, started talking about this is because these three Anglophone projects um, in chapters seven um, have a lot to do with the contemporary um Moment in the U.S. and um, and that is very powerful um, to to wrestle with how a, a legend um, still um, sort of inspires um, on multiple platforms for multiple people. You know, you have the Indian, British, Canadian, Indrani um, using this as a um, as a celebrity um, photographer filmmaker and her, her first film, uh, to pay tribute to, a um, openly gay, um, designer, you know, Alexander McQueen, who is very much, um, sort of devoted to a feminist environmentalist cause in his, at least his sort of some of his final runway shows and his, uh, Manta, uh, Dress, which is the series that's most popular, uh, represented by um, deep sea creatures, you know, snakes and um, other sea creatures. So I think the the connection is quite fascinating. I was very surprised myself how this has led me to talk about minority activism and responses to COVID nineteen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes I think yeah. it's um it's uh, a an amazing moment that you feel um, you could connect with the, what you have been working on scholarly, to the um contemporary world seemingly very distant, um, political or social topics that they suddenly at certain moments come together. I think. Um, of course, I think in um, on page two hundred twenty one, this what you have quoted Jacob, um, the producer of um, um, the opera White Madame White Snake, talking about Madame White Snake as a woman, a quote, a woman, a yellow skinned minority, an immigrant from outside, is um, really um, a wonderful phrase that captures um certain characters of Madame Whitesnake herself and also what the uh, central issues or concerns that Yeah, um, I
0: wrote I wrote about her as a resident alien, like all of us, <laughs> before we, we get our green card uh, or or being naturalized. So <laughs>
1: Oh, otherwise we, uh, we are all the green snake by <laughs> Li Dihua, the riding under the
0: broken bridge. Yes, too, everything. Also too wild, too wild. Yeah, uh-huh. but I think yeah. the 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 positive uh, message is um, it's a tale about difference, but it mm-hmm. really tells us about how similar we are. So it's it's um it's very much um a window into. I think Edima said something in the blurb, like a window onto the imagination of the other. Um, but both for it's like a mirror image, both for the East and the West.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um so moving on to uh the final chapter. Uh, that's also the latest technology or um not necessarily technology, but latest form or format of how the white snake was um, continuing to um, be reimagined and revived Mm -hmm. um, online. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's why this book can never be finished. And as I mentioned, these two big budget productions just came out in the past three months, from May and July. And I just wish I'm there to be able to. Um, so doing research about China um, while you're not in China, <laughs> still, uh, especially contemporary uh, popular culture, I still consider this project a project about popular culture. Um, it is a popular cultural project, although it has a very strong emphasis on folk traditions and the power of the avant gardist and radical projects. But it's, very much about popular culture and how we um, cannot really separate, you know, my first book is called The Avant Garde and the Popular, (laughs) and just tries to connect how all these experimental and radical projects uh, leading the wave to the future have deep traditional or folk roots, but also have, um, um, it's viable for popular consumption. Precisely because it's radicalism and it's sort of avant-gardeist experimentation, so these two doesn't um, contradict each other, which uh, brings us to maybe the webtoons and the, the other more, uh, as you say, um, high tech, no, low tech, but online. And the the I really love the opening of the White Snake animation. The legend begins, which we were talking about the sequel, the Green Snake. Resurrects. I don't know how they have the English translated, but in Chinese it's Qing She Jie the the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Bai Yuan Qi from 2019 by the Light Chaser Animation. Uh, the opening has a has a ink brush painting opening for one minute, and I have two um, screenshots. I think one is at the very opening of the book in the introduction. Um the other is on page two fifty two um one of the concluding visuals basically <laughs> um because I intended to have it sort of bookend the the narrative and i really uh, think um ink painting animation um you can go back to um daisy uh du's book and how it was basically a product of socialist china uh, from you know 50s, 60s, 70s, but also um, it very much um, sort of creates this tension um, and had, um, it's also a very interesting sort of avant-gardeist revolutionary political project, but it has its sort of, it echoes what I just mentioned. It has its sort of deep roots and has its uh, commercial viability as well. I'm not sure what did they do with the sequel. and um, Tempted. I'm very curious to see uh, whether such sort of uh, this, is, as I mentioned, is only one minute in the opening. So I wonder what kind of ink brush um, animation will appear in the sequel, whether it's completely out. And, and I think audience, readers, listeners in China are privileged to, to tell us <laughs> about the visuals in the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yes, so um,
1: I think in this final chapter um, you are trying to as much as you could tell us what was going on now in the popular um, uh, entertainment world, different take, whether it's a song or uh, a, a a show that um, presented or represented different aspects of the uh white snake story.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. While um mm-hmm. yes, go ahead. Um you can finish your, your thought. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. uh I was trying
1: to say that um while this story, the legend uh of White Snake is never ending, as you were talking about, there are two films that just came out probably or definitely more would be coming out. Um the book has its limitation in its number <laughs> I mean, in page number. I mean, <laughs> so we can only uh, start at a certain point and end at a certain point. Um, uh, I think we had a wonderful journey uh, with Liang about this book um, today. And uh, just curious, what is your next journey? what will you be working on after the white snake story?
0: Never the, ending. Um... <laughs> Never ending. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually um, want to mention Gong Lin Na before we get to the mm. next project because I, um, I've i been paying attention to her for a long time. and consider her one of the avant-garde performing artists of contemporary Chinese popular culture. She's one of the person that can exemplify the avant-garde and the popular um, you know she sort of makes this that's super popular but then most people think it's incomprehensible and, and hence it's popular <laughs> So, but this incomprehensibility incom- speaks to a lot of her sort of experimental avant-gardeist take on, uh, and her collaboration with her husband now uh, who is trained in like uh, or um, like different kinds of traditional, um, um, in his case, Germanic. And then um Minna herself is also trained in um, opera and other local traditions. So I'm just really curious about this couple and, um, and um, was uh, making some good use of uh, her song, Fahai Ni Bu Dong Ai, right? So there's a lot of uh, connections to that. Folk, avant-garde, and popular that trajectory I was tracing. Um, and maybe one more um, thing about the White Snake project that I didn't get to talk about um, is um, I'm really interested in the the title that the publisher gave to the book, <laughs> The Global White Snake. And I was like debating how global it is, if it's only about East Asia and um, Anglophone word, you know. But maybe we can treat white s- global white snake as an aspirational concept. You know, the white snake legends belong to the word, it's global, because it's multi-directional travels, both in the inter-Asian and global uh, spheres. You know, we um, you know I I don't have the capacity to talk about many other languages, but the first Translation to a Western language is in French. And there's many other uh, uh, um, traditions that we could talk about, Uh, but because of my own limitations, I want to focus on East Asian, uh, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and the Anglophone word, in particular using the American um, sort of uh, framework as a way to to connect the the middle part of the East Asian uh, trajectories. But I do want to say it's very much about continuities. I want to talk about how historical continuities as you opened late Qing to contemporary um, with the Cold War uh, um, as not an oddity, a disruption, but as a continuation of many of the trends, but also geopolitical convergences. So it operates on both, you know, synchronic and dichronic. Um, so both historical and um and um, geopolitical. So I really want to talk about that as an as a ending. Of course, um, if you're interested, you can read uh, my blog. It says everything about what I want to say about the contemporary activist um, message. I think that's very central. As to my next project, um, I've been working on the Dutch documentary filmmaker Joris Evans um, since 2009 when i was um uh, writing or revising my first book in uh, stockholm where um it was very close to Nijmegen, uh, netherlands and all the places that's important for the archives for events the reason i went to events is because of tianhan again so everything comes from tianhan and in the in the tracing of the making of the national anthem of the prc um i discovered how Yoris Evans um, and the African-American artist, Paul Robeson, people um, born in 1898 and this whole generation were very important to our understanding of not just contemporary China, but also uh, the interwar international avant-garde. I call this generation, um, born in 1898, uh, grew up in 1918, the interwar international avant-garde, includes Han, Evans and Robeson and uh, brashed Eisenstein, and all the um, Germanic um, tradition as well as uh, Soviet, um, Russian avant-garde and other um, participants. So I'm very excited to, to um, finally have time during my sabbatical. But unfortunately, I'm still here and not based in China. I claimed in my blog that's written a month ago um, that I will be based in China now, um, but that's not the case. So hopefully I'll be based in China in the near future, and uh, in uh, Leiden, where I will be a visiting scholar um, at Leiden University for the spring, and then um, get the Evans project and the Robson project, uh, yeah, started finally. But thank you so much for for this um, quite extensive conversation, and thank you for all your work, um, reading, and just uh, coming up with. Um, Very interesting, detailed questions.
1: Thank you for uh, joining us. And again, to our readers, uh, we have here Dr. Luo Liang with her new book, The Global White Snake, that just came out with University of Michigan Press, I think, August 2021, right? Just came out.
0: (laughs) Yes. And Um, um, just a plug on the digital platform, I forgot to mention this book, has a digital platform, um, Falcon. And the link is, on, um, I think, at the last page of the table of contents. Um, and it includes all illustrations, all 57 color illustrations in high definition with zooming functions without any need for subscription. So you can just go to the link and scroll down don't don't look at, you know, you need to subscribe for the content, but scroll down and go to sources and you'll have all the color images um, if you're just interested in looking at them. And it has all the information as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Another reason to read more carefully each book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Lu Liang, um, for joining us. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we uh, appreciate your time and hope to see you again or hope to um, join us again next time thank you for your time